Dear Jesus, thank you so much for allowing us to come here. Thank you for letting us gather and worship you. Please, right now, refocus all of our hearts, Lord. Focus our hearts on you, that we might hear your word and learn directly from you. You're the, you're the great teacher, Lord. So, Holy Spirit, you teach our hearts, you reprogram our minds, and you make us more like you right now. We love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Amen. All right, guys. Last time I spoke, we looked at the topic of unity. We looked at uh, how we in the church find unity through our identity, okay? Because we are the body of Christ. Uh, we all carry the name Christ. We're Christians, Christians, little Jesuses. I spoke about how we will most likely in this world not find unity in practice or doctrine because the church is a very diverse group with many different parts, just like our body is very diverse with very different parts. The hand is very different from the nose. They look different, they act different, they have different purposes, just like all of us in the church can be very different. We in the church are different, but we're held together by the name of Jesus. We're one body. Now today I want to continue on the same topic. We're going to be talking about unity. But yes. today we're going to be looking at how we find unity through our purpose. Okay? What is our purpose? Why does the church exist? Most people see our purpose as the Great Commission. Alright? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's what Jesus said as he went up to heaven. Now I don't see that as our purpose. What I see that is as an outworking of our purpose. It's an outward expression of the purpose, of an outward expression of something deep inside of us that's our purpose. So our life, our ministry, our faith, all of those things are expressions of our inner reality. They're expressions on the outside of what's inside, of our purpose God has given us deep inside. When it comes down to it, Jesus counts what is inside of us to be most important in all of life. We're going to look at Matthew 5. So if you guys have Bibles, you could turn now to Matthew 5. I know I've never looked at this passage in one of my messages before. Nyuk, nyuk, nyuk. Only every single one, I think. <laughs> but there's so much good in it. That's the great thing about the Bible. You just keep pulling from the same good stuff because it's one big story. We're looking at Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to start reading in verse 3. This is from the New King James, so it won't match yours exactly. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, poor in spirit inside, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now notice how those are mostly inward conditions. You know, poor in spirit, meek inside, merciful inside, righteousness inside. Jesus is talking about what's inside. He's talking about his kingdom, and the people in his kingdom are defined by what's inside them. The primary focus of Jesus' sermon he gave on the mount was that one's heart condition is primary. What's The condition of one's heart is most important in a person's life, not what they do on the outside. 
Now, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they were the ones who most attacked Jesus when he spoke. All right? They felt the opposite. They felt that what was on the outside was what was most important in life. So they made a big outward show about of the religious things that they did. They made a big outward show of their devotion to God and how well they followed his commandments, thinking that was it. But Jesus pointed out in the Sermon on the Mount that their hearts were wrong in the midst of doing that. In this, uh, in this message, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uses the word that we translate as hell uh, a number of times. It's used more in this one sermon than in any other one uh, portion of the Bible, okay? But it's unfortunate that we translate the word here used, that we translate it as the word hell, because people have different ideas when we think of hell. The fact of the matter is that when Jesus is talking about here, hell here in the Sermon on the Mount, he's not talking about a place of eternal condemnation, which is what people think of uh, when they think of hell. Uh, the word translated hell here is the word Gehenna. And when Jesus spoke about Gehenna in the Sermon on the Mount, the people knew exactly what he was talking about. They, they didn't think it was some murky, dark place in the afterlife. They knew Gehenna. Gehenna was a local trash dump. Gehenna was, it was the trash dump. It was located in the valley of uh, Henna. So we're going to be looking now at a place where Jesus uses this word, Gehenna, that we translate hell. We're still in Matthew 5. Let's go to verse 21, okay? Starting verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and those who murder will be in danger of the judgment. So, Jesus is talking about murder. We can all agree that murder is a bad thing. We shouldn't murder each other. Now, the question is, can we look at our lives and say, look, I've not murdered, so I'm doing pretty good. Let's look at what Jesus says. Verse 22, he says, But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother, anger, that's something inside, without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. So first Jesus was talking about murder, something on the outside. Then he turns it to the inside, okay, to the heart condition of anger. Murder is not the problem. Murder is the outward expression of a problem, that problem being anger deep inside a person's heart. Now, uh, he says that, uh, well, murder, okay? If you murder, you can go to a court and you can be judged for that. You know, it's an outward thing. But do we go to court to ju in here, in human court, to judge people for the conditions of their heart? No. So Jesus is saying here that if you have anger in your heart, you're in danger of judgment. Well, you're not in danger of going to a court where they're going to say, you have anger deep in your heart. The judgment he's talking about is judgment of God. God looks past the outside, deep inside of us, and he sees the condition of our hearts. And if God, when God sees garbage like anger, hatred, uh, lust, God judges those things. The judgment he's talking about is the judgment of God. God judges that stuff as yuck, as garbage. So Jesus continues. He says, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. So the word Raka was a thing in Hebrew, uh, was a Hebrew word that people would call each other. It was a mean, angry thing to say, Raka. And Jesus points out here that it was that offensive, that uh, big of a word, that if you called someone that, they could actually take you to court to, uh, and you would face judgment for that. 
Okay? That kind of makes sense. I mean, you know, you do, you, you know, say something awful and then, you know, people judge you for that, whatever. But now Jesus says something follows that with something that's shocking at best. Let's read, continuing in verse 22, Jesus says, But whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Okay. So, you call someone something, ter- call someone a terrible name like Raka, and you're, you're, uh, in danger of a human judge, okay? But then you say to someone simply, you fool! And Jesus is saying, if you do that, now you're in danger of hellfire? So you call someone an awful swear word name, okay? And God says, yeah, you can be judged for that. But if you call someone stupid, if you call them a fool, then you're in danger of hellfire. That, that doesn't quite make sense. But let me tell you, it's exactly what Jesus has been talking about. It's what's on the inside that's most important. You know, if you call someone a fool, what you've done is you've revealed a heart condition. You're judging that person, all right? And Jesus, is, this whole message has been about how it's what's inside that counts. When you call someone a fool, you're revealing the condition of your heart. And it's this condition, this condition of judgment, anger, hatred, all this stuff, that's what Jesus says is in danger causes one's life to be in danger of hellfire. Now, what is the hellfire that Jesus is speaking of? As I said earlier, Gehenna, translated hell here, was the trash dump that everyone knew about. It was down in a valley, and as the trash composed it, heated up, causing smoke to rise up. Now, when Jesus was referring to Gehenna, that's what he was talking about. Their stinking, smoldering trash dump. And he specifically says here, that if your heart is wrong toward a person with anger or judgment or something, if your heart is wrong toward another person, then you are in danger of this stinking, smoldering trash dump. In fact, he's saying that your life, you know, anyone here, if you're living with that kind of heart condition, your life is in danger of being like that smoldering, stinking, yucky trash dump. So the question is, does anyone here want our lives to be, you know, uh, in God's eyes, just a smoldering, stinking heap of garbage? Yeah. Jesus is using extremely strong language here to very strongly emphasize the point that he's making, that our heart condition is what is most important. God looks past the outside to the inside, the condition of our heart. The fruit of your life, what you do on the outside, is an expression of what's on the inside. You know, Jesus said, it's the tree that's good or bad. The fruit is just the result of what the tree is. So last time I was here, we looked at 1 Corinthians 12, okay, where Paul talks about the outward gifts of the Holy Spirit and the outward ministries of the body of Christ. We're going to be actually going to 1 Corinthians 13, so you can turn there now. But we talked about the outward things. But then, after talking about those things, Paul follows it with an amazing glimpse into the heart of a believer. So, we're going to 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to start in verse 1. All right. Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, And if I have faith and can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. 
If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. All right, I'm going to stop here. So Paul here is echoing the exact same sentiment that Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. Paul just sent the last chapter talking about the amazing outward things that we in the body of Christ do. You know, speaking in tongues, uh, the spiritual gifts of helping and administering and teaching, uh, prophesying the word of the Lord. These are all outward amazing things. Healing. Yay. You know? But Paul is saying if you're doing these things on the outside, but your heart is wrong, it counts for nothing. That's exactly what Jesus was saying. In fact, Paul is actually talking really lightly here. If this was Jesus saying this, you know, he would probably say, yeah, if you speak with men, tongues of men or angels, heal and move mountains with your faith, but you don't have love, then it's all just a pile of garbage. Yeah. It's the outward, it's the inward condition that's most important. But if your heart is right, obviously, your life on the outside will be right. Now, what is the word here that Paul uses to describe a right condition of the heart? Love. Love is the right condition of our hearts. So, we are the body of Christ, okay? And who is Christ? He is love. God is love. So, if we're the body of Christ, then our lives are an expression of love, we are called to be like Jesus, and our primary purpose as Christians is to be Jesus to the world. And looking at this passage, we see that that purpose, our purpose, being Jesus, is to live love to the world. Okay? Live from the inside, love on the inside, manifesting itself on the outside in everything we say and do. We in the church, regardless of how different we are, uh, we are united in that we are the body of Christ. And that our hearts are full of his love. Our purpose is to be love. And how that manifests itself in practice can be very different from person to person, from congregation to congregation, or culture to culture. I mean, just look at all the different ways that the church shows love. I mean, it's amazing. Everyone can point to a specific verse and say, you know, this is, this is our primary thing. There's the people out there who are feeding the poor. And that's their expression of love. Or spreading the gospel by, with their mouths. You know, saying, hey, Jesus gave his life for you. He wants to save you and draw you into a relationship with himself. That's amazing. That's showing love. You know? There's people who, you know, pick up trash off the streets. Or people who uh, talk to their neighbor, know their neighbors by name, and let them know that they have value. That they're worth talking to, worth getting to know, worth loving on. And there's people who pray for people for healing and see healing all the time. I mean, that's amazing, you know? Guess what? God loves you. Here, let me pray for you. Let me show you what God can do, you know? Those are all expressions of love. But they're all different. If one of us picked our expression and said, this is, this is the right way, yeah, where's the unity there, you know? But we've all been given the love of Christ, and we all manifest that in the way that God has called us to. But now we're going to look back inside. We just talked for a minute about what's outside. We're going to look back inside. What does a heart of love look like? Let's look at verse 4, back in 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to be reading from the NIV. I like this one best for this passage. It says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. 
It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Perseveres. Love never fails. Amen. And verse 13, Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. We are called to be full of love and to express that love in our life. What matters in this life is what's going on in the inside. What God rewards and what God judges is what's on the inside. What happens on the outside is just an outward expression of our inward reality. You, me, all of us, we're all called to love. That's our primary calling. That's our primary purpose. We're called to love our friends, our family, our neighbors, our coworkers, our bosses, our friends, our enemies, everybody. We love every single person. With We make no distinction. We love everybody. That's who we are. That's what we're called to be. Now imagine how united the church would be if we all lived love. If we all defaulted to love all the time in our interactions, from congregation to congregation, from denomination to denomination, country to country, culture group to culture group, you know? Imagine how dumb the arguments would seem that we currently have now if we all looked through the eyes of love, if we all acted out of love. Imagine how many of the problems in the church, the divisions in the church, would disappear right now, okay? in the face of love. Love is the single most powerful defining factor in the body of Christ. All right, We can come together in unity in the church because we all know and understand in our minds that we are the body of Christ. Okay, That's in our mind. But when we understand in our heart and live love, then unity is easy in the body of Christ. When we live and interact out of a heart condition of love, unity, within the body of Christ is not something we work toward. It's a given. It's a default. So, in love, we don't see each other as evangelical or Catholic or Quaker or Mennonite or whatever. In love, we see each and every one of us as brothers and sisters in love, in Christ. So now I ask, where does this love come from? If we're supposed to be full of love, how do we get full of love? Where does it come from? We read in 1 John that we love because he, Jesus, first loved us. Okay, Our love is not something we do. It's something we receive. We get so full of love that we then leak it out, literally, on the people around us. So if you don't feel like your life is fully an expression of love, if you don't feel like you're expressing love through your life, let me tell you, let me tell you what not to do. Do not grit your teeth and be like, I'm going to be more loving. Because guess what? That, that's not going to work. That's our, that's our default condition. That's what we think. You know? But no, that's not how you become more loving. Because we love because he loved us. If our lives are not show, uh, giving an outward expression of Jesus' love, it's because we've not received all the love that Jesus has for us. So if you want to live an expression of love, reach out to Jesus that he might fill you. He wants to fill you with so much more than you could ever hold. As David said in uh, the famous psalm, my cup runneth over. That's what God wants to do. He wants to fill you so full of love that you just run over all over everything. And Jesus left us this incredible book 
that has his love all throughout it, the Bible. If you want more of Jesus' love, look in the Bible, read the Bible, it's amazing. And talk to Jesus, talk to him in prayer. Honestly, tell him, Lord, fill me with your love. That's not a selfish prayer. Man, I prayed every day. Keep praying it. Fill me with your love. Let me feel your love in a new way. You know, that's not a selfish prayer. That's a prayer that empowers you to love others. And lastly, surround yourself or spend time around people who you see expressing the love of Jesus. You know, those people who are so full that they are leaking it out. And you spend time with them. Be close to them so that as they're leaking it out, it gets all over you. And then you can then give it out to others. We are all the body of Christ. And as such, we are a body of love. That is our purpose, to love. And it comes from deep within our souls. That's my message. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you so much for leaving us your word that we can learn and read and get to know you more, that we can understand what you see as important. You look at our hearts, Lord Jesus, so I pray that you will transform each one of our hearts here. You'll work in us to make us more like you. So when you look inside of our hearts, you don't see Gehenna, you don't see the garbage, that there won't be any garbage, Lord. When you look inside of us, all you see is your love. Please fill us each with your love, so, so full that we leak it out on everyone all around us, Lord Jesus. Make us like you and radically rock our whole area here because of you. We're a small congregation, Lord Jesus, but you use 12 disciples to turn the world upside down. So you can use our group here to turn the Lehigh Valley upside down. We love you and we thank you so much. Please continue to work in us and through us for your glory and our joy. In your name, Jesus, I pray these things. Amen.